Shake the jukebox, it's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh yeah! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. <laughs> hey. Wow, Kyle, that was really good. For a moment, I thought that you were from Ireland. From Oh, yeah. Well, that's um, that's the accent that people there have, so I don't blame you. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that so much today. because yeah, big Irish episode. <laughs> a big Irish episode. This is your favorite musicology podcast where we deep dive into an album of the week. This week, it is The Pogues' 1985 seminal record, Rum, Sodomy, and The Lash. And uh, it's also the podcast that's the continuing exploration of the friendship of your two co-hosts. Yee! And, and music tastes, evolving music tastes. Kyle, how are you? What's going on? I'm good. I am having a blast. I've been in Connecticut at my girlfriend's parents' house for the weekend, so it's just been really, really fun and relaxing. That's wonderful. I made, I'm, you know, I, I'm doing the thing where me, so it's me, my girlfriend, and her roommate, we're all here. Oh, nice. We've been tasked with cooking for the parents, so That's the steaks are, steaks are very high, and I made these um, fried chicken biscuit sandwiches yesterday, and I just... I just got to give myself props. I knocked it out of the park. Kyle, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll make you one one. Oh, wait, you don't eat meat. No, I eat chicken. We're good. Oh, you do? Yeah, you can Boom. make me some. You can make, make me some one. chicken. It's, it's, let me give you, it's biscuits, honey butter, fried chicken. You can put hot sauce on it. Then you got tomato, a little bit of sprouts, avocado, and that's oh, God. it. Oh, my God. That's such a great mix of stuff. Yeah, it's... Oh. it's uh, it's good shit. Wow, you're such a great little Southern guy. <laughs> yeah, that's me, clearly. <laughs> I'm yeah. Dixie. Yes, that's you. <laughs> Have you ever been to Biscuitville in no. like the Carolinas? No. Uh, yeah, you know, I have family in North Carolina and we, they always take me to Biscuitville, which is just like, it's a fast food place with just like the nicest, most richest, butteriest biscuits and the best like egg and biscuit sandwiches you've ever had in your life. Ooh, yeah. The only, I did a road trip once through the South. I haven't been to the South a lot, but pretty much all I know is Bojangles, Whataburger, sure. and um, Waffle House. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of good food and a lot of good culture comes from our brothers and sisters to the South. Indeedly doodly. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, that's awesome. And if you listen to any music this week, anything on your radar that we should know about that's been getting you through these strange times? Well, I have to admit that the album we, I mean, every, every album we pick, I just, you know, really dive in head first, uh, Scrooge McDuck style. And, <laughs> but this week I have been this, th so we're doing, well, yeah, we're talking about the Pogues, and I just love the Pogues, and I'm also reading, We I talked about it last week, this book about sort of like, you know, Northern Ireland, so I have just been having a blast listening to the Pogues, but I do gotta have to give a shout out to a very underrated band, often considered something of a one-hit wonder, Big Country, and oh, I sure. was listening to uh, that um Pretty much, they, they they they're not they're not so so great that they're like 
you need to go out and listen to big country, but they're better than people think they are. Sure. And um, that album, The Crossing, that has In a Big Country on it is is a really good album. And I, I shout them out too, because I was trying to think of other bands from this time that kind of combined like more like traditional English, Irish, and uh, in their case, Scottish folk music with like more like pop music and they're not nearly as like folky as the Pokes, obviously, but there are a lot of kind of direct Scottish folk influences in their music. So that's what kind of led me down a little bit of a big country excursion. Yeah, that's cool. I definitely have heard like several big country songs, but I've never delved yeah. into a full album. So now yeah. I have to do that. They're, they're, not, they're, they're good, not great. You don't like, I'm cool. You don't have to run out and find, listen to it, but it, it's, fun. it's fun. So now what you're saying is that we all have to become huge big country fans to see if on you your can good sell. Side. Yeah, I want to be sold on it. I, the <laughs> idea of big country is amazing. It's like an interracial, mixed race, Scottish, big 80s rock band with like Scottish folk influences. So I want to be sold on big country. Don't get me wrong. Sure, sure. <laughs> so maybe listeners, maybe you can sell us on Big Country. Please. We'll see. <laughs> and speaking of listeners, just to let you all know, you can follow us on social media. You can rate and review us on a podcast of your choice. And now that we're hosted on Anchor.fm, you can go to our page and you can leave us a audio message where you can like talk you know, engage in a dialogue with us about the show, and then we can include your audio clips in a future show, which is kind of fun, right? That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So, you know, definitely if you want to record any feedback, please, you know, go to our Anchor FM page and leave it away and we will put you on the show yourself. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what have you been getting getting into? What have you been listening to? So I want to take this time of the podcast to talk about a documentary that I watched yesterday. And you know that I love a good music documentary. Oh, come on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's who I am. It's, it's very on brand for me. Mm-hmm. And this one in particular just combines a lot of my interests into one big documentary. So this was a crowdfunded documentary that was just released on YouTube. It was produced by a channel that I really like called Defunct Land, which mm. mainly covers amusement park attractions that are now gone. So they released a hour and a half long, very well-made, heartfelt and smart documentary about a very strange project that Disney did in the late 70s that's called Helix. So this is right up my alley. This was a few guys from Disney Records who were basically trying to move into the pop music sphere as opposed to just the children's music sphere. And what they did is they assembled a band via audition, very much like the bubblegum groups that I really love from the 60s. And they put this band together, chose their material. The band were all quite talented. They were all kind of like, rock, power pop, and prog guys, it seems like. And then they like created what's basically a hybrid of Kiss with Star Wars for this band. <laughs> yeah, so it's got like basically almost immediately in the conception of this, the dude who was in charge of it was like, I want there to be a Wookiee playing bass. Like he was just oh like- Oh my God. Yeah, so it's like half people just dressed in like cool space age outfits and then half people like under costumes oh. as this band. And they played in Tomorrowland for a summer 
they actually did get a record contract through this with Warner Records, which is a really interesting part of the story. Then Warner had a change of the guard and they never ended up releasing anything and they kind of dicked these people over. And, you know, it's a very typical, like, kind of like bubblegum fabricated mm. music rock and roll story that's both like kind of sad and uplifting. And then the music's like actually quite good. Like the songs are pretty tight. And they had these like geeky fans that would go back to see them at Tomorrowland like weekend after weekend who were like these California kids who like made merchandise for them and shit because Disney didn't, you know, do anything like that for them. So it's a, it's very interesting and it's like kind of a sliver of bubblegum music history more than anything. So for me, it's, it's definitely scratches that itch because, you know, that's what I basically care about the most in the world. <laughs> but to, to lay people who maybe don't care as much about that, it's really just intersects so many interesting elements of ways you run a theme park and the music industry and pop mm. culture in the early 80s. And it's, and they interview some really interesting songwriters. It's super cool. Yeah, that's... What's it called? So the band was called Helix. And if you go onto the Defunct Land YouTube page, and I'll post a link to the documentary in the show notes, of course. The I think that the actual documentary is just called uh, Helix, but they write they post it as some sort of more like leading clickbaity title so that like you really know what it is like yeah. i think it's like this is a full it's like the title is something like this is a full length documentary about the the star warsy band that played at disneyland in the, <laughs> in 1981 it's something like that yeah but it's it's really a very well made documentary it's super professional super interesting i'm really impressed with how it all turned out yeah that that Yes, I'm interested in that. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally, right? <laughs> I'm also, and I don't, you know, I'm not a huge, I am not a, a Star Wars nerd by any stretch of the imagination, but I am just fascinated by that period, 79 to like 80, 81, where they didn't like, where it was just a Star Wars explosion and all this crazy fucking marketing weirdness was happening around Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. It is a really incredible time for culture because star wars became so prevalent and like i like star wars i'm a fan i'm not a major star wars geek but you know i can deconstruct the movies with as much gusto as any other geek <laughs> my age but i really do like that period too because right. it's like the culture actually hadn't caught up with the kind of the newer visual and kind of um uh, aesthetic ideas that Star Wars was trading in. So yeah. Get, like projects like Helix, which are really quite strange, but Helix, I think actually errors on the side of her swings to the side of being actually like quite cool. Like yeah. if you watch what they did with the project. They got a guy in a modified golf cart. That's sort of modified actually like um, Gary Newman and Erga music war, one of our big <laughs> yeah. touchstones. He's a keyboardist. Who's in a big like spaceship, like golf cart that emits steam and he can Ooh. drive up to the front of the stage and he does this like super prog rocky like yes. keyboard solo in the <laughs> oh, middle of the show. Totally but it's like, I was watching yesterday, I'm like, no, 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 this is genuinely very cool. Like this is like yeah. early 80s kind of awesome. Like, right. it sounds you know, like it's, a, it's not like Donnie and awesome... Marie Star Wars, you know, which was just yeah. so stupid, you know. Right. It sounds like like a legitimately fun stage show that happens to be like Star Wars related yes definitely yeah you know and star wars rip-offy because they couldn't yeah. actually use any star wars stuff at the time 
so it's so Amazing. you know so like the, wow the, i didn't even realize that that yeah, yeah I need to, so I need like to. the quote-unquote wookies like this white like yeti looking creature <laughs> and like there's a frog who plays percussion it's great oh, my God. i know not to get too much on, on the tangent have you ever seen that star wars comic book that came out before the movie was actually released yes so, yeah so yeah. they had to invent they didn't know what any of the characters would look like so they just had to like make them all up yes yeah there's so much good stuff like that you yeah. know it during that era of star wars you know the, the star wars holiday special oh yeah so wonderfully weird and <laughs> and the the donnie and marie stuff that you know they did a star wars themed variety show for one of their shows and it's really odd star wars within the variety show culture and sort of the review show culture is like a whole other subject for a whole other podcast that Amazing. we could really deep dive, which would be really, it's, it was really a, a very, very strange time <laughs> in, culture, in culture. And the fact that it bled into music at all also is quite interesting. So yeah. <laughs> very cool. But yeah, but I'm glad we're kind of focusing on an album that is a little more, you know, heartfelt and rustic. I think that that's a good thing to do. Yeah, so I think after- it's definitely a, a change for for what we've been listening to. I think what we've covered on the podcast and what we've been listening to lately, I think. I agree, very much so. And before we get into it, we're going to do a contest. So to all our listeners, remember that website that I talked about last week called Rave? dot dj so it's a very weird mash mix website where you submit to youtube videos and it will mix them together into a computer created mash mix so over the course of this week we are going to have a contest where we want you to submit your best and weirdest mash mixes created through rave dot dj and there's going to be more information about this on our social media. So that's one of the reasons why it's important you follow us at KTJB Pod on Twitter, at Kick the Jukebox on Instagram, and uh, at, I think it's KTJB Pod on Facebook. If you, just, if you just do a search for Kick the Jukebox on Facebook, you'll be able to find us. And we're going to award prizes to the best overall mix, the most surprising mix, and like, the biggest computer-created nightmare mix. <laughs> and the prizes are going to be weird records from our record collection that we will mail to you in the mail. Yes. Supporting the Postal Service, which is... Yeah, good. you're going to get some weird ones. Yeah, yeah. We both mm-hmm. were talking about it last week. We both have some fun ideas <laughs> for what we're going to send you. Yeah, so please check out our social media for more info about that. I'm going to be tweeting and posting about it for the entire upcoming week. We're going to feature the winning MASH mixes on the podcast as well. So that's going to be super fun. Very exciting. You've got to get in on it. Otherwise, all your friends are going to make fun of you. That's right. That's right. Because everybody knows that all the hip kids enjoy. Anyone, because anyone is doing it. Enjoy, yeah, enjoy Kick the Jukebox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. So let's get into Run Sodomy and the Lash here. Super, super cool album here. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into this record initially? Man, that's a really good question. I have always really loved the Pogues, and I think probably most people in the U.S. know them pretty much only for the song Fairy Tale of New York, mm-hmm. which is a, it's just one of the most famous modern Christmas songs. Yeah. It's on their next album, If I Should Fall From Grace. 
from Grace with God. Mm-hmm. It, it's an it is still one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's too. beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible and, song. Yeah, and it was written. I think this is very telling. The prompt for Shane McGowan, the lead singer and creative force and kind of like genius behind the Pogues and primary songwriter, he was given this prompt to write a completely unsentimental Christmas song. Mm-hmm. And that's what he came up with, Fairy Tale from New York. But anyways, that's how most, uh, that's probably how I was introduced to them. And then I think just the concept of this punky Irish folk band from the 80s just intrigued me, given my interest in sort of Irish shit generally, Irish music. And I like good, like anyone who can successfully like create their own genre or mash up genres and have it not sound hokey and have it sound really cool and still really poppy, you know, catchy. Like that's the best shit to me. And so I think that's that's how I got into the pogues and this is one i was telling louie there's just so much i have to say about it but yeah i love this album and i love this band so to backtrack a little bit what do you think makes a kid that grew up in westchester like yourself what do you think makes someone like you so interested in irish culture what drew you to irish culture in the first place and sort of this interpretation or this flavor of irish culture Yeah, I was thinking about that. I think what it is, I was thinking about just the cultures or countries that have a history of being colonized, I think create really, really interesting art. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think another great example is Jamaican culture. Yeah. Irish culture and Puerto Rican culture. Uh, But I think what drew me to Irish and Jamaican culture in particular as being two sort of um, cultures that I'm really interested in and music that I'm definitely really interested in is just that they sing and speak in English. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I wish I could knew more about like the music of like Martinique, which is really unique and interesting, Mm -hmm. um, but I don't speak French. So it's, it's harder for me to like access that. And just the fact that they had, you know, there was so much turmoil and change in Ireland over the course of the 20th century and what it meant to be Irish changed so radically over the course of the 20th century. I think it just makes it, it's just fascinating what it means to be Irish and Irish music in general, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And this album and the Pogues and Shane McGowan in general Something that I think is interesting about the way that he approaches his own Irishness is that he really writes towards the Irish diaspora. Yes. Yeah. He's not writing only for Irish natives. He's writing for members of Irish nationality that have been left behind in England or have made their way to the States and their experiences as well. And that means that he's able to draw from a lot of different influences i'd say specifically on this record like something that i really noticed on this one you know with the inclusion of like the song jesse james for example Mm -hmm. is that a lot of this has quite a bit of a country tinge to it as well which really fits i think super under your umbrella as to what you enjoy yes as as a yeah so it's super cool yeah no i think that's a really really good point because i think a lot of people don't know that the pogues are an english band they were based and formed in london Mm -hmm. but 
some of the members were Irish, meaning from Ireland, but they were all, oh, actually not all of them, but most of them, especially Shane McGowan, were of Irish ancestry and were the son, the children of Irish immigrants to England. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, there's a long history of Irish immigration and particularly Shane McGowan, his parents came over in the, I think early sixties and they were part of this large, there was a wave of Irish immigration during that time to the UK or uh, to, yeah, to the UK and particularly England. And um, apparently there was, they were very insular community and there was a lot of, there was an expectation of you'd go to England to make money and then you'd eventually go back to Ireland. And so there wasn't a ton of assimilation and obviously England, they've had lots of issues with immigrants not integrating and there's like a long history of, you know, discrimination against, you know, people from Jamaica or Ireland or more recently, you know, uh, India or the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So there was this sense, this very, you know, profound sense of otherness among in the Irish community at the time. And so he was from England, but had a very strong Irish identity in the same way that, you know, a lot of Americans of that time, especially Irish Catholics around the world. And that's why, too, Shane McGowan in his songwriting carries through that tradition of singing about the Irish diaspora. So he's not only singing about Irish in Ireland, but he's singing about the Irish in America. He sings about Australia all the time. Yes, which we're going to get into. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's just really, there's just, he's carrying through a long, long tradition, but modernizing it. Mm -hmm. Which is why this album was so successful is Mm -hmm. that it has its roots in a lot of folk music traditions, but feels really fresh. And there's an aggressiveness to it that I think was lacking in other folk music of the time. Yeah. You know, and that's because McGowan came from a, a punk background. Yep. And, you know, sort of came of age. He very famously had part of his ear torn off at a class <laughs> show, which is great. <laughs> and, and it made front page. This was back in the days when the UK press was like, these punks, they just were obsessed with the depravity of punk music and he yeah, had the, the filth up. and the, the filth and the fury. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. So he kind of was famous for, he was like, became famous as this punk who got his ear cut off at a clash gig. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And by the time they made this album, they were already becoming pretty well known within certain musical circles. They hadn't had any really big breakout success yet. Uh, But this was, you know, 19, this was released in 1985 and was produced by Elvis Costello, who at the time was big shit in the land of music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Costello, something that's interesting about the way he approached this album is he said that he really was trying to highlight what a great sound they had Mm. and not fuck it up and not smooth it out too much. Yes. You know, he said, I wanted to get to them before the music industry ruined this band. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of, you know, Shane McGowan and speaking of him appearing on the cover or, you know, on the front page of a newspaper with his ear ripped off, I think that there's part of the story of this band and of Shane McGowan himself is that there's sort of this very strange give and take tumultuous relationship that he has with the British press. Great point. Yeah. In that, I feel like 
the British press has decided very often to not focus on the actual interesting stuff about him, which is like what a brilliant songwriter he is. Yes. And what a unique voice he is like within the current of pop music at the time up until now. Yeah. And instead they kind of focus on like his various problems with substance abuse and the fact that unfortunately he's had many physical problems because of his alcohol addiction primarily. Yeah. That was something, you know, I'm less familiar with him Mm -hmm. than you are. I'm not a major fan, but certainly they've, I've circled them musically and I've listened to songs of theirs over the years, Mm -hmm. but in advance of researching for this podcast today, something that really struck me that I think is like pretty unfair is that most of the interviews that I found with him are really kind of about his uh, like substance abuse issues and less about yep. him as a songwriter and as an ambassador for Irish uh, Irish culture as well. Yes. You know? Like there's even a full documentary, which I didn't watch, which I'm interested in, that is about him getting tooth reconstructive surgery. <laughs> yeah. But actually, right. I do think delves into him artistically, but I think it's called like Reconstructing Shane McGowan or something. Yeah. I didn't see that one. There's another good one too that I think like the BBC or something, but yeah, that's a really, really good point. Something I also want to address. So um, yeah, I think if you ask any other musician who's worked with him or from the time, especially in the UK, I think they will point out rightly that as a songwriter, he is a genius Yeah, and he is the a really and as a lyricist he's very particular and very precise about his lyrics and his music is like in the canon of just like great pop songs you know when people will talk about him other musicians they'll something i've heard a lot you know whether it's from steve earl or nick cave or you know bono Mm -hmm. they, they talk about how the music of shane mcgowan will live on for hundreds of years And it's an odd but specific phrase I've heard multiple times. And I think that's because a lot of traditional Irish folk music, it doesn't have authorship because it's morphed and changed over time and become, you know, he was able to pump out standards, standards, like, you know, um, at a ridiculous pace that are immediately, you know, and he comes from the tradition of, you know, the Irish like pub song. So they're like great populist songs that you, that demand that everyone sing along to them. And we'll get some of that in the production too, which is great. Some like good gang vocals and stuff. But I just wanted to point that out. But yeah, as you mentioned about his relationship with the press, you know, the British, you know, tabloid press is notoriously vicious and unforgiving and cruel. And, you know, especially at, I mean, he's always been without a doubt, a very severe and violent alcoholic. Yes. And yeah, this is, we're not, we're not discrediting that. No, no, it's just a, it's a total fact. And then I think, you know, I think he started to get into heroin and he, his, his teeth, he lost all of his teeth. Yeah. And I think there was this cruelty in the British press knowing that if you bring this person on TV, he is not capable of functioning. And that I think they did it anyway, because they, you know, kind of paraded him around as this drunk clown and 
sort of to be cruel to him because they knew if you bring this person on TV, there's no way he's going to be able to give a functional interview. And I, 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 I get that sense too, that they deliberately sort of paraded him around to be mocked. Did you see the, it was a full show that's on YouTube. It's about an hour, 20 minutes long. I watched the first uh, about half an hour of it, but it's it's the Late Late Show from last year and it was celebrating his birthday. Not the one last year, no. Well, it seems to be a bit of a re, maybe like the British media making amends mm. for, for the way they've treated him over the years. Wow. You know, he is currently wheelchair bound, unfortunately yeah. due to a, a pelvic injury that he had, he broke his pelvis. He mm -hmm. is still singing, but definitely he's a little slow on the uptake, which is mm -hmm. really kind of a sad thing. But they he reminds me a bit of like late era Lou Reed. That's fair. Yeah, totally. Yeah, kind of Lou Reed on his last during his yeah. his last his last era being around. Yeah, and during this appearance, it is a big, big, big panel of people with him sitting in the middle celebrating him for his birthday. Mm. And they have his sister on with him. Yeah. Speak towards their childhood in like just a really smart and light and easy to understand way. And that mm. feels like rather respectful that they're doing that. And then Glenn Hansard is on oh, as wow. well. And something that he says that I think was so wonderful that no one captures the energy, melody, violence, and anger that hits the heart and the gut like Shane McGowan which is really beautiful. I think that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Just to follow, piggyback that, to, to describe the sound of the Pogues, you know, I think the best way it was said was uh, Billy Bragg described it as traditional Irish music thrown down the cellar stairs. And I think that's like, <laughs> I, I don't know, that sounded really right. And we'll get into this because other people call it Celtic punk, which is a term that's thrown around. I guess I'll just address it right now. The Pogues are the only ones who ever did this genre right i think and it's because shane mcgowan is a genius this unfortunately spawned one of the worst genres of music ever and i think and it's usually bands from like boston that play for you know firemen and have their music playing at play at boston red sox games but that you know we all know them but uh, i just want to get that out of the way that this genre I think has been tarnished by a lot of like cop music, but it was a this, the Pogues are not that. Not at all. No, yeah. no, no, no. They're, they're pretty anti-establishment, the Pogues. Right. Okay. And that being said, I think it is time to listen to our first song because it. it really embodies so much of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. Why is this one so important, Kyle? Let's talk about it. Yeah, so this is the song Sally McLennan, and uh, this is a Shane McGowan original. There are a few covers on this album, um, one of which we'll cover next. No, I think this is just a great encapsulation of their sound, their energy. You know, it's you know, it's Shane McGowan literally writing like a a pub classic. Really fun. You get the the gang vocals, which sound like punk. You get the speed that sounds like punk. And then also, I forget what I was going to say. It's great. <laughs> okay, awesome. Let's listen to it and then we'll talk about it. Well, Jimmy Bright, I'm on again, the pub where I was born. We played it from the night time to the pace of early morn. We served the souls of cycles and the men who had the horn. And they all looked very happy in the 
Jimmy didn't like his place in this world of ours When the other man brought storm and his next to me had too many pairs So I sad to see the grieving of the people that I'm leaving And he took the road for God knows in the morning We walked into the station in the rain We kissed him as we put him on the train And we sang him a song I just want to start this conversation about this song by saying that it's super tight. Like yeah. that's something about this band is that they really could play together so well. And this is a bigger band to achieve this type of sound as well. But it's really, really tight and pulled together. Yeah, yeah, and th that's yeah, that's exactly right. And that reminds me what I was gonna say before we started the song, which was this is a great example of like you hear this recording and you know, and you're like, I need to see this live. Like that mm -hmm. would be so, you know, it's just so fun to see it live. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to, because we haven't done it yet, the rest of this band. Yeah. <laughs> who are all really, really interesting, good musicians. There's Spider Stacy on Tin Whistle. One of the best sounds. I mean, just, I love the sound of the Tin Whistle. Definitely. And he sang a few songs for the Pogues and then after they, kicked Shane out of the band, he took over lead vocals yeah. permanently. After Joe Strummer. Yes, after a stint with Joe Strummer for a while, which is very interesting in itself. Yeah. And then on accordion is James Feemley. Yep. Uh, then Jim Ferner on banjo. Kate O'Reardon on bass, who then married Elvis Costello after recording this album. Mm -hmm. So he must have been really into her bass playing. <laughs> and then and Andrew Rankin on drums mm -hmm. and Philip Chevron on guitar. Yep. There we go. Did it. Read my Did list. <laughs> nice. You killed it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those names are hard. Yes. I mean, these are the, the land of the Irish people who I admire very much, but I don't have to read their names out loud that much. Yeah, they have the most psychotic spellings of uh, any peoples. So, yeah. <laughs> this is totally true. <laughs> so this song is a classic. It mm -hmm. charted pretty well. Did it reach like number 13 or something like that on the charts, this one? In the UK. Yeah, this, in the this UK. This is all to be said, like not everything. When we talk about chart positions, it's all in the UK. Yeah, for this album. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and Sally Mechelen is a type of stout. Yep. It's an interesting song. The story basically behind the song is that it's about a bunch of old friends drinking at a bar, celebrating, taking one of them away to probably move to England to make money. Right. Yep. And then when he comes back, he learns that many of his friends have died mm -hmm. and then he drinks himself to death. Right. Right. And primarily that's what the song is about, right? Yo, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's I think this song too, just lyrically, uh, highlights so much about what makes Shane McGowan great. First of all, you get the combination of this traditional theme of Irish folk music, which is leaving Ireland because you, you to for new opportunities, mm -hmm. pretty much because all, all your friends back home are just sitting around and drinking and have no no work also it combines a little bit of shane mcgowan's 
personal life, personal story, worldview, because it's it's a bit of a, a a love letter to drinking and and alcoholism with all the all that's fraught about that, of course, because it's also clearly a song about death and misery in a lot of ways. You know, he just wants to go back to Sally McLennan, which is a stout, to go back to the bar and drink. It's just really, it's set up really beautifully because he uses this metaphor of the train, which initially means a literal train to take someone away to probably England. Mm -hmm. Then it comes later in the song to mean not like you know, to be a metaphor for death. It says that, you know, we'll see you again. And I just think, yeah, what he does so amazingly on this song, in which what many great folk songs do, especially Irish folk songs, is that they convey really complex concepts using language that people actually use. Yeah. And in this case, it's sort of the concept of how to feel when death arrives. You know, yeah. because very much like the Irish culture that born Shane and the song, something that's so great about it is sort of that bittersweet celebration when someone dies. Right. This is such a song about awake. Right. Wakes in themselves are such a unique part of Irish culture that to me are very mentally healthy to celebrate someone's life and their passing as opposed to just being incredibly sad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but you know, uh, he says in the song, though, you know, all the people that leave without warning, which I think is such a great use of language. Yeah, it's really, um, no, I mean, he's, he's just an incredible and totally underrated lyricist. And I think, you know, in addition to his, you know, public persona in the UK, which often preceded him, unfortunately, interestingly enough, when this band first came out, they were not received particularly well in Ireland. Mm -hmm. um, and I think because after, uh, you know, a few decades of Irish independence with the, in the Irish Republic, there was, especially starting in the 60s and 70s, there was this effort, collective effort, I think, uh, often unspoken, to sort of leave Irish culture behind and move into modernity. And we're going to be a part of the European country of you know we're going to be a modern european country and we want to leave behind this stereotypical image of the irish patty caricature drunk all the time lovingly the that horrible stereotype mm -hmm. and so i think but i think it was only later that people also recognized that he was carrying on a great it was only a brief period when there was some skepticism about him in ireland he's now become totally embraced in Ireland and the Pogues have as well because at you know after a few decades of modernization they also said oh wait we actually love our heritage and we don't want to abandon it completely but there was a time there especially when this album came out that there was some skepticism in Ireland about what exactly he was doing. Yeah there's definitely a element to this entire album that it's I feel like there's a message like don't forget where you come from don't forget who you are yeah. And that that's actually important in order to stay humble while you're trying to advance, you know, your culture into the modern age. Yeah. You know? And there's definitely just like this major film and grime over so much of what yeah. he writes about that I yep. could see being uncomfortable for a lot of Irish people if they were trying to reinvent themselves in the mid 80s. Exactly. But it's it's OK to acknowledge that that's part of your human nature. You know, that's absolutely. Sort of, we're going to talk about that because. This last song we're going to cover, I think, is really so much about those aspects of this album. 
But before we do yeah. that, we're going to talk about the Pogues cover of the band played Waltzing Matilda, which is a very interesting Australian folk song. And mm -hmm. just to give it a little bit of context before we listen to it, it's an anti-war song that's written about the Battle of Gallipoli, which was mm -hmm. World War I battle where many Australians were killed, but it's really meant to be uh, an analogy for Vietnam when it was written. Mm -hmm. And there's several covers on this record, and I think it's kind of cool because I think it's kind of creating a dialogue between other folk sources Mm -hmm. and Shane McGowan's own writing. I think yeah. it's like somewhat intentional and he yeah. weaves it all together to tell one story. But this totally. is the this is the closer of the record. Yeah. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of it. This is one of those kick the jukebox classics that's eight minutes long that you're going to hear <laughs> a minute of everybody. So this is worth seeking out yourself to listen to all of it because it's really beautiful. Here's a yep. clip from it. When I was a young man, I carried my pack. And I lived the free life of a rover From the Murray's Green Basin To the dusty outback I waltzed my Matilda all over Then in 1915 My country said son it's time to stop rambling Cause there's work to be done So they gave me a tin hat And they gave me a gun And they sent me away to the war And the band played waltzing Matilda as we sailed away from the Kai. All right, cool. So this one I really love and why I wanted to cover it is because it's kind of an interesting little back and forth between three different songwriters in terms mm. of the story of this song. Mm. Because the song references what's considered the unofficial national anthem of Australia, Waltzing Matilda, which was mm -hmm. written in the turn of the century, and mm -hmm. is basically a pub song about a love triangle. Yeah. So it's not the deepest of songs, but it's a really important big song in the Australian like folk tradition. Mm -hmm. And then the writer of this song, Eric Bogle, this is really what he's known the most for, though he's written several big Australian folk songs. He wrote this, you know, as I said, during the 60s and is about Vietnam. And then it was covered by a lot of different people over the course of him writing it. He wrote it in the in the early 70s. And by the time Shane McGowan gets his hands on it, it really becomes sort of a bigger song about the folly of all wars and how dreadful they are. Because Vietnam, by 1985, was but a memory, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I think that it's really, Shane McGowan takes really good care of this song, which I think is interesting. And this song is also, it's like five verses long. Right. It really feels like an epic. You yes. know, it takes this character, this young man from being a guy without a care in the world to being conscripted into the war, to going off and fighting in Gallipoli, to having his legs blown off 
to having to come home. I love there's a line in the song that I think is really amazing about how grateful the protagonist of the song is that he doesn't have anybody to feel sorry for him when he gets right. back. Oh uh, my God, it's like wrenching. It is, it's really interesting that it's almost for the best that he doesn't have anybody that loves him because it would be too much for them to bear that he's yeah. lost his legs in the war. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, so it sort of becomes the story of the lost veteran, which is amazing. And then at the end of the kind of the button on it is at the end of the song, he sings about how he's seeing these veterans parades every year. And every year the young people are asking, well, what are they really marching for? Why do they really care? And he feels that way himself as someone yeah. who didn't make it out of the war without his legs and how it's kind of really ruined him. Mm -hmm. Here's the entire time in these choruses. Chorus is about the band, the military band, just playing this really simplistic song over and over again as kind of these horrific things happen. And yeah. The use of music during wartime is addressed as well in the song, which I think is really cool. And then the song itself is a waltz. So musically, yep. it speaks in an interesting way to its predecessor song as well. And the arrangement on this one, the arrangement, this version of it is just like he pretty huge and sweeping. Yeah. For these guys. Yeah. And it's really, they, it comes in later with that big snare drum that keeps cracking and it just, yeah, it really, really builds. Yeah. Super cinematic. I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think I I think you totally hit the nail on the head. Another thing that I I think it's good to point out here is just you know Shane McGowan. You know to quote our good friend David Byrne. Um, Boo! <laughs> Not on this show. <laughs> I think I might have said this before, but you know when he talks about his own singing voice, and I think it definitely applies for to Shane McGowan. You know he's not a quote unquote great singer. He's not a traditionally good singer. But you know that makes it all the more powerful because you really believe what he's saying. Yeah. Right? Like this, the protagonist in the song, like I don't think anyone thinks it's that far fetched that Shane McGowan could be this person. Yes, he has a really, really good method of embodying his his protagonist, and he yep. also is not afraid to sing songs from the perspective of flawed people. Yes, oh my God. Yeah, yeah and anti-heroes, and it makes it so identifiable, and that's so great. There's really so such little rock star bravado in what he does. Uh, so much so that it's kind of a subversion of a lot of the I don't care, apathetic uh, punk sort of background as well. Definitely. Which is, which is so cool, yeah. Definitely. And not to jump the gun, but I think that is a perfect transition to our last song because I think he does that one and exactly on this on this next track. Yeah, yeah. Before we cover this final track, which is um, Old Main Drag, before we cover it, I want to ask you something about the culture of people that listen to the Pogues. I feel I've been in like some shows many years ago now where fairy tale of new york is played live and i have mm. people singing it or i've heard people tackle pogue songs during karaoke and i feel like very often they're putting on kind of these stupid messy slurry irish 
disres it feels like disrespectful to me, like disrespectful kind of mincy drawls. I don't know if that's totally the right way to describe yeah. it. I'm wondering, have you noticed that at all? Or is that just my own personal experience? Because it's always no, felt I, kind of odd to me, personally. Yeah, I think that I think that sounds right. I mean, I've heard some really gorgeous, you know, covers of Pogue songs. That For sure. Are, um, you know, Nick Cave um, does a great cover of Rainy Night in Soho that is like really beautiful and respectful and kind of brings out, you know, sometimes like when you hear a good cover like of a Daniel Johnston song that, you know, it just puts a sheen on it that reminds you that, you know, just of how great a songwriter Shane McGowan is. I think just to go back to it, I think that like, you know, slurry Irish kind of like caricature that sometimes people put on when they do Pogue songs, I think it's kind of born of and like a cousin to this like new Celtic punk thing. And they, they aren't able to see that these are amazing folk and pop songs. And I think th that the Celtic influence for Shane McGowan was just the vehicle that he preferred to transmit this, this amazing music. That was just the vehicle that he used. But like on a lot of other different songs that he does, it doesn't always sound like they're not all Irish drinking songs, you know, yeah. they really aren't. And sometimes all people can hear because they are so embedded in that tradition, all they can hear is just like, a, all they think is like, oh, this is a, just a silly, stupid Irish pub song. You know? Yeah, totally. Which is, yeah, it's super reductive. Yeah, right, exactly. Because yeah. they are. There is an element of that, which is great, but, you know, it's not all that it is. Well, you know, it's people that are confusing musical simplicity with, right. like, actual, with, 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 like, musical clarity and how right. those can often be one and the same, and it doesn't mean that they're stupid. You know, right. things don't need exactly. to be overly complex to be smart, you know, which right. we talk about on the show all the time, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's why we have similar tastes in music, because we both yeah. feel the same way. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Let's get into the last song we're going to listen to. This is the second song from the record, Old Main Drag. It's one of Shane McGowan's most popular songs, and it's it's awesome. And I think that it's a great one to end us on because it so encapsulates what makes him such an awesome songwriter. So let's listen to a little bit of it. such an awesome picture of scuzzed out London. Yeah. It's you know amazing. What? 
You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of 53rd and 3rd. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, it almost is, interestingly enough, a little more sympathetic towards the characters of this song than 53rd and 3rd is. It seems to be written from less of a place of anger than 53rd yeah. and 3rd. Yeah. yeah. But, but all, I definitely agree. And I also think, too, that I don't know what parts of the song exactly, but this seems very, I mean, this seems very personal to Shane McGowan. And just like 53rd and 3rd is very personal to Didi Ramon, you know, this seems, this sounds like his life in London. Yes, yeah, that in order to make money, he either himself was somewhat of a male prostitute or right. knew people who right. were prostitutes and could speak towards their experience. Yep. And something that I really love about this song is definitely A, as we were talking about before, it is caked in sort of a grime and sadness mm -hmm. that is all at once very sad but also him singing about it, I think kind of normalizes it in a way that I think is very cool. Where he's like, it's okay to talk about this stuff. And this is how we are forced to live our lives and feel like there is like a element of de-shaming because the, the main character in the song is so so sympathetic. Absolutely, and I think, and, and a directness, you know, I think he was inspired by, you know, a lot of the like, there are, there's a long tradition of body, kind of Irish music that, you know, talks about like, you know, sex and drunkenness and things like that, um, bad behavior. And I think he took that and was, no, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, but a lot of that is hinted at in the mm -hmm. song. Whereas mm -hmm. he's like, I'm going to say, I'm going to talk about life in London in the eighties in the same way and be even more direct about it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's what you kind of get in this song, you know, and you know, this, you can definitely imagine everyone with their drunk as hell at three in the morning with their arms around each other, swaying back and forth, singing this song. And what, what are they singing about? They're singing about, uh, you know, a young, you know, prost male prostitute who, you know, is living out on the street and getting beat up by the cops. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that this is something to acknowledge and be celebrated. Yeah. yeah, or like respect. Yeah, or respected. Yeah, respected that some people have to live like this. Yeah. And just acknowledge their existence as human beings. You know? Yeah, as opposed to shaming people that have to do this to make money. Yeah, and especially in like a stuffy English culture, just like recognize that these people exist even and talk about it and say it out loud. Yeah, you know, I saw another interview with him over the course of me researching this where it was uh, really early. It was like right around this period of Shane McGowan. It was a French interviewer that asked him, and, the, and he was trying to take the piss out of him. He said, do you like drinking? And which is not, you know, my favorite question that would has ever been asked of Shane McGowan. Yeah. But something that he said is he said, it's not that I like drinking more than anybody else. And it was him being like a little kind of like, quote unquote, clever and like trying to take the piss out of this interviewer a little bit. But yeah. it's like, it's not that I like drinking more than anyone else. It's that I sing about drinking because it's something that we all do. And at least in British culture compared to Irish culture, we don't talk about it here. Right. So I like talking about it. 
Yeah. And I think that that is really interesting distinction to make. And all of my British friends over, you know, the time that I've known British people, I feel like they've been pretty open with the amount of drinking culture that goes on in England. But mm-hmm. the fact that here, this is coming from someone of an Irish cultural background that feels mm-hmm. like the British are keeping stuff tampered down. I found mm-hmm. that really interesting. Yeah. And especially at the time. And, and I saw an interview actually with Shane McGowan's father who said something similar where he's like, you know, there's just in the UK and in England, there isn't the same, you know, he just said it's like, it's all really buttoned up and there isn't this celebration of, he called it lawlessness, but Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that exists in Ireland. And he was kind of talking about his own alienation in the UK. But I think, especially for those first generation Irish immigrants, I think they, it was a culture shock. Yeah, I think so very much. And it's easy to forget that the story of the Irish in England is an immigrant story, but it's a really rich and incredible one as well. You know, it is. And it is really well told on this record, along with the plights of so many other types of Irish people all over the world. Yep. Super cool for you to bring this in. And I love it when this is, you know, there's such a vibrancy to the music and to your experience with it. I barely talked this episode, which is great because last week <laughs> oh, I, I talked, I, I talked over that you. Might happen. I didn't no, no, no. I'm happy about it because mm-hmm. last week I had too much coffee. And while I was editing, I realized that there's a stretch of that podcast where I talk for 25 minutes straight. And all <laughs> that you say is right. And yup. <laughs> so well, it was a good trade off. Yeah. So my apologies about that. And this one was really a treat. So thank you for bringing it in, Kyle. That was awesome. Thank you for indulging. Oh, anytime. Of course. (laughs) Well, listen, if you've liked our chat about the Pogues, once again, you can rate and review us on iTunes or any podcatcher of your choice. Leave us a little bit of feedback on our anchor.fm page. It's just anchor.fm slash kickthejukebox, or you can go to kickthejukebox.com. Find us on social media, follow us because that contest is starting this week and it's going to be so fun, that Mash Mix contest. Ah, oh, Kyle, as always, what a treat. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, you just nodded on camera for our listeners oh, yeah, to not see. I, for, I forgot they couldn't hear the whooshing of my head going up and down. Yeah, of your baseball cap. Kyle, yeah. what a treat. Yes, thank you. It, it was a great day. <laughs> All right. Well, until we see each other for another episode, I'm Louis Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. We will see you around like a record. Kick the jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time.